Today's episode of Prospects to Pros is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as low as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. Happy New Year. Uh, happy 2020. We're into it now. We're into draft season uh, pretty full speed ahead. Uh, between now and April, I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler, as always, and our producer, uh, Kent Garrison. Hope you all had a, a safe and happy and fun holiday season. Uh, Dane, how'd the kids, uh, how'd, the, how'd the little ones do with the presents? Clean up okay? Oh, they loved it, yeah. They... Uh... <laughs> I, I was I was kind of excited myself because I bought my son his he's four I bought him his first Lego set. There you uh, go. No, not not the not the big blocks like the actual Legos, and um, I mean I was very happy to help him put those together. So <laughs> little n- nostalgia there. Uh, They're but, a lot more. Yeah, uh, no, it was great. Uh, Legos are a lot more complicated than I remember them being. Like my, my son's yeah, kind of no, the, <laughs> take a while to get. They're just, they're very detailed and. But I mean, I guess you kind of understand why they're so dang expensive, uh, all the detail they put into it. But um, how about you? How was the uh, how was everything at the at the Burke household? Uh, good, yeah, good holiday season. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if this was a, a parenting hack or just uh, a questionable decision. But my uh, my son, who's six, went over to his friend's house like a few weeks before Christmas, and his friend had. Uh, playstation 4 and madden um and they played while they were there and so that was all he wanted for christmas was <laughs> we didn't have a playstation 4 yet so uh he asked for that we kind of discussed it and the put it over the top by arguing that i would use it too so uh <laughs> sort of got <laughs> the joint present there from santa claus so nice. uh <laughs> felt a little guilty but not too guilty nice so definitely with Madden then. Uh, yeah, we got Madden so far. We're, we'll see if we branch out from there. But uh, trying to teach uh, him the ropes. It's, ine- of that it's game. inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had the uh, we have like the uh, the Nintendo that they released, the little one that has like thirty games built into it. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, it's yeah. got so he was uh, he got pretty hooked on Tech Mobile. Um, nice. So it took a little while to transition from Tech Mobile to uh, Madden. Uh, the controls are a little different, a little more complicated, but uh, yeah, yeah, no complaints over here about how things went. So. You're, you're definitely doing your part as a parent. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how if I can keep him away from the video games as much as possible. So, um, but <laughs> anyway, lots of uh, lots of good football. 
since we last talked, um, including all those New Year's Day games, and we'll get to those uh, in a minute. But first and foremost, we had some news Monday with Tua Tagovailoa announcing that he's going to go to the NFL. We'd sort of been waiting on that decision. Um, it seemed like he was on the pretty on the fence about it, understandably, with the the injury rehab that he's going through with his hip. Uh, you wrote about the decision um, as it pertains to the whole draft. I wrote about it. Uh, my post will be up a little bit after we're recording here on Tuesday about because uh, the Lions now at number three become pretty interesting, assuming Joe Burrow goes one and Chase Young goes two. That number three spot maybe becomes a kind of a big pivot point if someone wants to go up for two up. So uh, what do you think here? Is this the right decision on his part? Are you surprised at all? I think it's the – I mean – the right decision is something that's very, um, it, it, you know, pertains to the individual. And for Tua, he had to do what's right for him, which, you know, was you can make a case either way. I think he did the smart thing. Um, I'll say that. I think that, uh, you know, going back to school and the possibility of getting hurt again. I mean, he was faced basically with two very risky options. I think the riskier option would have been to go back to school the still risky option is doing what he decided to do, and that's come out to the draft. We still don't know about the hip. I mean, that's just fact. Uh, you know, he, he Tua talked about how doctors are optimistic. They they tell him he's healing and he's headed in the right direction. But it's a three to four month injury where we still don't know yet. And he had surgery right around mid mid November. So when we go to the combine uh, and the medicals there. That's going to be just over three months. And so we still might not know at the combine uh, just any we'll have probably a better idea, but not any uh, finite clues about, OK, any long term damage. When will he be able to actually throw again? Does he have to start the season on the pup list? Is he going to be ready for training? camp? I mean, all these things, it's still up in the air. But understanding where two is coming from. I, I, you know, I think it was a smart business decision. I think it was, uh, you know, the, all, like I said, all these decisions were risky. I think this was the the less risky uh, of the decisions that he he could have made. So certainly understand it. Um, I think that to make a very complicated situation simplistic, if he passes the medicals, he's going to be a top seven pick. Uh, I feel very confident saying that. But it's just whether or not will he pass the medicals. And that's something that could change from team to team. Uh, you know, it's some teams have more appetite for risk than others. And that's it just comes down to their team doctor. If your team doctor looks at the hip, has some issues and comes back to you and says, no, I can't clear him. You can't draft to uh, you know, but another team might have a doctor that's a little more open to something like that and say, you know, I feel good. It's going to heal and no long term effects and. So another team could have a completely different medical outlook. And so it's there is a lot in the uh, up in the air, uh, a lot of variables with this. And so it's going to be something where we talk about at length throughout the process. But if he does get uh, cleared by, you know, some of these medical uh, doctors for these teams, uh, like I said, I, I think I feel very confident he'll end up being somewhere in the top five to seven picks. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's interesting, like you said, it's sort of risk involved either way. There's sometimes where you, these guys get hurt and you think, well, you may as well go and get, if you're going to be rehabbing a long-term injury anyway, you may as well get to the NFL, get to those facilities, get with that strength and conditioning mm-hmm. program and, and get, you know, use the best of the best available. 
I don't know that that case holds up for Alabama. I've been to that facility. I think it's better than probably most NFL facilities, maybe all the NFL facilities. So um, obviously you're you're getting paid uh, in the NFL to rehab as opposed to at Alabama. And, uh, you know, I'm sure people make their own pay the players uh, joke there. But, um, you know, it's uh, I think that it makes sense. Just like you said, to go back and to think, well, maybe he'll be healthy for next year and he'll have a really good season and he'll be a top five pick and sort of replay himself into the potential number one role. I I mean, that's a lot of things that have to go right. Like you said, we don't even know if he's going to be able to play at the start of next year, let alone play to a level where he'd be the clear cut number one pick with with Trevor Lawrence and with Justin Fields and with this class coming 2021. Mm. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, it, you know, we sort of do the, it only takes one team dance every year with these guys, but um, you know, you get into that. I don't think Detroit at number three is a team that's going to take him. And I don't think the giants at number four is a team that's going to take him, but you've got a handful of teams right after that. Certainly five through seven that could consider him. There's some teams down in the teens that maybe you could see, if he slips or if they want to move up a little bit. And then, you know, if it keeps going beyond that, either, you know, it's kind of the Lamar Jackson route, trading into round one and, and getting that extra year on a guy or one of these playoff teams thinks, all right, well, we'll develop him. I mean, I think that there's, again, we don't know anything. He doesn't know anything in terms of what the timetable exactly is going to be here. But uh, I think there's enough landing spots for him out there that you can see the fits happening pretty early in this draft still assuming everything kind of moves forward from here um and and like you said you wrote about this uh i mean miami has been the team that feels like we've been talking about as the two a match forever and i think a lot of that was because Mm -hmm. we thought he was going to be number one and we thought miami was going to be picking number one uh, and circumstances changed a little bit but you know, they're still sitting there at five. They've got three first-round picks. Certainly, if they want Tua, it feels like they can go get Tua. Um, uh, what, what's your best – do you have a sense for a best fit at this point? Is it too early to do that? Well, yeah, I think Miami, just because we've been talking about it for so long, um, I, I think that would certainly be a fit, um, uh, both from what they're looking for from a culture standpoint uh, with Brian Flores – um, and then obviously they just, they, it's tough. Cause the, the number one, uh, factor here is when you're talking about Miami, you're talking about some of these other teams that could possibly like a quarterback It's just, you want to get the quarterback, right. Um, and you're looking towards next year and thinking about, Oh, well, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And, you know, maybe even this year, like, you know, Justin Herbert and, you know, we, we, we like Jordan love and, uh, with Tua, you factor in, uh, you know, the injury factor and uh, the fact that he's left-handed, uh, the fact that he's only six foot tall. Um, you know, there's it's more than just the injuries w- with uh, with Tua. I think that there's there's a lot to like about him. I, I love the instincts. Um, he's got a very quick processor. He can reset under pressure, uh, get the ball out quickly. He's accurate. Um, the characters off the charts. Uh, you know, hearing Nick Saban talk about him, he talks about him like you know he's his own son. Um, so there's there's a lot to like about Tua, but there's also the the concerns that make him, uh, uh, you know, I, I me, I'm su- I would be surprised me personally if anybody has Tua over uh, Joe Burrow. I mean, with what Joe Burrow has done this year, I don't 
I don't know why anybody would take Tua over Joe Burrow. That's just my opinion. Um, but with Tua, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons why, you know, you could talk yourself into it and a lot of reasons why you're going to be a little skeptical. So, uh, yeah, you you mentioned earlier how the Lions sitting there at number three, if the first two picks go as we expect with Joe Burrow to the Bengals and Chase Young to the Redskins at two, um, sitting there at number three, the Lions, uh, that number three picks prime real estate. And it, it's an opportunity where, you know, you don't necessarily have to move away and trade out of that spot, but you're going to keep the phone lines open and, you know, you're going to listen to offers. And so it's things could get interesting there with Miami at five, the Chargers at six, the Panthers at seven, uh, you know, teams that could possibly look at a quarterback. Then you've got some interesting teams like the Colts. Uh, you know, the Colts have done a lot of work on these quarterbacks in this class. And uh, you know, they I think they know, even though publicly they haven't said it, they know Jacoby Brissett is not uh, you know, the long-term answer. Um, they gave him a fair shot. I think this over the second half of the year, he showed that, you know, he, he's not really a guy you want to be investing in long-term and that's fine. Okay. So what's, what's the next step for, uh, for the Colts and Chris Ballard? Are they going to draft a quarterback in the first round? Would they look at, they have, uh, you know, multiple second round picks. Could they package some of those draft picks to go up and get to a, at pick three or pick four? Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of different things uh, that they could do here to make sure they get their quarterback. And so, yeah, this this Tua conversation. Well, I think the Joe Burrow uh, conversation is nice and neat. We know exactly who he is. We feel really good he's going number one overall. The Tua Tua conversation is the complete opposite because uh, now you know that he's coming out in this draft. What's going on with the injuries? And then who are the teams that are going to be the true contenders? that are going to have that appetite for risk and buy in that Tua can be the guy for them moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I had a line in my post about it, something like, I mean, this is one of the more intriguing storylines about a prospect to track in, in really in recent memory. Cause I think you can, I mean, we don't know. I mean, we're sitting here four months mm -hmm. before the draft and we don't know. It doesn't sound like he's going to be ready to go do drills at the combine. Um, no, yeah, maybe. No, for, he came in. He came and throw a football. Here. Right. And so yeah, I, there's no way he's working out the combine. And so you're thinking, well, maybe you know that that doesn't put a whole lot of window between there and when Alabama's pro day would be. We've seen guys sort of schedule out their own pro days when they've had either injury mm -hmm. issues or you know whatever some falling out with their school, I guess, in the past. But uh, mostly because of injury issues, guys will schedule a pro day kind of right before the draft. But even that, I mean, that's only two months past the combine to get that in so if he's still in the early stages of his rehab you know you're not going to throw him out there for a full pro day workout if he's just at that point you know starting to to run and get back on the field again so you know you're maybe asking teams to invest a whole heck of a lot in a guy who we haven't seen at all since he suffered a serious serious injury in November and so you kind of again narrow it down and you know you look at uh, Miami is interesting, not just because they have so many picks early. I think they have six in the top 70, but they've got Ryan Fitzpatrick there, who's a guy you certainly could use as a as a bridge quarterback. And, um, you know, do the Chargers view Phillip Rivers as, as that guy? I mean, do the Raiders think they need to move on from Derek Carr at some point in the near future? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of teams there that you look at either as, all right, you could see them taking a risk because they have uh, a lot of darts to throw early on or... You know, maybe this is a team that needs a shot in the arm and they see an opportunity to get kind of a, a a little bit of a bargain, perhaps, on a guy who 
we thought was going to be the number one pick in this draft. So it's, yeah, I mean, this is really going to be interesting to track moving forward. And also, you know, not to spin us off into another topic here, but uh, I mean, I think it also ties back to, you know, Justin Herbert and the rest of this quarterback class, certainly. And, and because I think there's still a possibility that some team falls in love with Justin Herbert early and he finished mm -hmm. with, you know, he closed his career with, uh, I wouldn't say they were great uh, examples of what he can do as a passer necessarily, but gets win over a really good Utah team and goes and shows off the athleticism with three rushing touchdowns in the Rose Bowl, beats a really good Wisconsin team. And so he takes some momentum now into the, the draft process. So this is, uh, it's a really, uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch what happens with this quarterback class. Cause I, like you said, I, we kind of penciled in Joe Burrow at one now, but, uh, it feels pretty wide open beyond that. And that was even before Tua decided to go to the NFL. Yeah, exactly. And another one of those teams, uh, the Panthers at number seven, right. according to Pete Thamel, they uh, just hired Matt Rule uh, as the head coach, which is interesting. Um, and, you know, what do they do with their quarterback situation um, uh, with a new head coach now? So a lot of interesting things going on in Carolina. Uh, but yeah, you know, overall, uh, like you said, I think that's a good way to sum it up that the quarterback situation was already uh, very intriguing, you know, Jordan love, if he blows up at the senior bowl and, you know, it's, uh, you know, he, he could go top 10 and that's what it's going to come down to for him. So yeah, there's a lot of intrigue and then you throw in Tua and everything going on there. Yeah. There's, it's going to be a really interesting process. Hopefully Justin Herbert goes to the senior bowl, um, where we are right now. Uh, we're about, you know, a couple weeks out. This is really a start of, um, all-star game season, um, college gridiron showcase is getting going, um, and DFW this week, the tropical bowl is getting going. Uh, then we have the shrine game and, uh, St. Pete and then the senior bowl. And so hopefully we see, uh, Justin Herbert, Jalen hurts, um, committed to the senior bowl, which I mean, that was a no brainer decision on his part. If he, if he passed that up, then he's getting bad advice. Um, you know, he's, he's not a lock to go in the first two days of the draft. He needs to go out there and show that, um, you know, he has the passing tools uh, worth developing. Um, we know he has, you know, we, we know he's a solid athlete. Uh, we can do with his legs. Uh, the intangibles are outstanding, but it's passing league. And, uh, you know, he needs to show that he can do that uh, against top competition down there in Mobile. So smart decision for him. Herbert, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to or not. Um, I doubt we see Joe Burrow, but I think it'd be important for for Herbert to go and show that he can do that as well, uh, competing against Jordan Love. Um, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm sure the Senior Bowl and Jim Nagy, I'm sure they're thrilled to get Jalen Hurts. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be yeah, uh, for ticket sales and draw. interest. Like that's exactly. got to be a, a boost for them. Uh, and yeah, like you said, I think we've been talking all along. It, 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 Certainly, it would behoove him to get down there and and get in the room with those NFL coaches and get on the field against some of those guys because there is an opportunity to move up, and we're assuming Burrow's not going to be there. But regardless of what the rest of that quarterback group looks like, there should be an opportunity there for Jalen Hurts to sort of stand out a little bit. And if you're talking about those, you know, yeah, being in that day two range even or early day three, I mean, um, a big week there would help him a lot. I mean, what's your read on – on how Herbert finished, because I mentioned that, you know, he, they had those couple really big, impressive wins to end the year. Um, you know, the Utah game, uh, there was a pretty significant stretch of that game where 
I, don't, I think he went without an without a completion, and then most of his uh, bigger moments in the Rose Bowl came on the on the ground. But it, it does that are those knocks against him that he didn't throw for 300 yards or is that work in the positives column that he didn't have great passing days and he still got two really good wins and still played uh well in the you know kind of the clutch moments of those games yeah he definitely showed off the athleticism and you know what he can do with his legs and how that's an important part of what he's done um i don't there's just i i don't think that and i've been saying this since you know start of the season is it if you liked Justin Herbert coming into the year, if you were a believer in the talent, then I think you still are. If you weren't, then I, I don't think that much has changed for you. Um, I think that, you know, when you when it comes down to it, um, you know, he leaves Oregon as a four year starter. He finished second in almost every passing category behind Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, for most guys that are six, six, 240 pounds. They are there's some awkwardness to them with how they move and their athleticism. That's not true with Justin Herbert. He is a fluid 6'6", 240 pounder um, who uses his legs to escape and uh, move the pocket and scramble. And that helps create some of those wild throws and wild plays, I should say, because it's not just throws. It's what he's doing with his legs. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I, every, every tape he put on of Justin Herbert, there's going to be a few wow plays each game, but he just leaves you wanting more from a consistency standpoint with his reads, with his decisions. Um, I think he is a very smart guy, but I don't know how quick minded he is. And, uh, I, I guess the best way I can say it is, he is a guy that is he like he won the uh, Campbell Trophy, you know, the academic Heisman. He had a four point oh one GPA at Oregon. Like we know he's very book smart, but is he you know quick minded? You know, could he go on Jeopardy and win? You know, is he have that type of quick processing? Because that's not something we see when the pressure bears down on him. We don't necessarily see that all the time, uh, where he's able to make the smart decision where you know joe burrow uh you know it's a he he has shown that he can do that so the intelligence factor is certainly there it's just is he as quick-minded uh as you need him to be to play quarterback at a high level so those are my concerns with justin herbert um but i, I still there's a lot to like there i think it's interesting that as a four-year starter he was never better than um honorable mention all pack 12 like, I mean, he never made the first two teams and I, I, that's you know th there's context required and something like that um but it's just it's one of those things that you find interesting uh with a player that has been around for so long so i i like justin herbert um it's just do you love him enough and i think that's what let's just assume for a moment that tua gets a clean bill of health and is goes five to the dolphins so burrow one Tua five the no quarterbacks go, no other quarterbacks go in the top 10. Then we go to the mid first round when you're talking about the Colts and the Raiders and the Buccaneers uh, and some of these teams that might be looking at a quarterback. Do any of them love Justin Herbert or Jordan Love or Jacob Beeson, whoever, enough to take him there? And, that, and that's what I struggle with. I like Herbert. But do I love him enough to draft him there? Then that's the kind of what teams are going to have to figure out between now and April. It still feels to me just because of the kind of the total package you mentioned and the athleticism, uh, specifically the size. I mean, it just seems like there's enough enough check marks on the Justin Herbert resume that he's going to wind up in that top 20 yeah. somewhere. 
Um, mm-hmm. Again, yeah, it's kind of hard to pin down where, but you just sort of look at the whole picture, and uh, there's so many things there that you know NFL teams are looking for in quarterbacks. I think it will. A lot of this is is going to come down to you know those interview rooms and what he does when he's when teams put him up on the whiteboard and you know ask him to sort of break down plays and they kind of test him. And teams are all about you know putting those guys in kind of uncomfortable spots in those little. Uh, quick interviews they get and in those visits when they have guys in for their you know top 30 visits might someone will meet with him at the combine and and walk him through a play on the board and then when he's in two months later at the building they'll ask him what the play was and see if he can draw it up again and like these little tests that Mm -hmm. they run guys through just to sort of test that mental dexterity and their ability to think on their feet and all those things so uh, those those are always big for guys but as you mentioned maybe even more so uh, in this case, you mentioned Jacob Eason too. Um, I think since the last time we recorded, he made I mean, he made his announcement. I, I think it happened after our our uh, last episode, so he joined the quarterback class. We've had a bunch of early entries since then: um, Henry Ruggs, uh, KJ Hamler, um, Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, Cole Komet was the one that we've talked about a few times. Kind of waiting on that one because. Uh, adding him to the draft now sort of shifts that tight end class a little bit. Yeah, it does. It, we have a new tight end one. Um, and I think Cole Komet, he said earlier in November how he planned on going back and playing baseball. And so we kind of, you know, tentatively crossed him off the list. But then, yeah, I was told don't don't cross him off the list yet because, uh, you know, there's there were several in, in, in the NFL that were saying, hey, Come on, come out. We we need tight ends in this draft, and you're the best one. So he listened to that, and he is coming out. And he is a, a fascinating story. I mean, he was a big-time baseball player um, through over his life. I mean, he almost tried to quit football at one point, um, you know, going into high school just because he was such a big uh, baseball uh, uh, prospect uh, back then. And, and he still is. You know, he was a left-handed pitcher for the Irish Um but this is going to be the first year coming up now that he's going to be football only. Uh, and so as good as he is right now, I think that in a lot of ways bodes well for his development. The fact that he's going to be uh, you know, a one-sport guy for the first time in his life really uh, is really going to help him uh, you know, develop as a route runner and become a better blocker uh, because uh, you know, all, the, all the physical traits are there with the size. Uh, he's not a... He's not a sudden athlete. You know, he's not going to, I think he might get in the four sixes in the 40 yard dash. Um, but, you know, he's not, uh, you know, the Evan Ingram, Noah Fant, that type of athlete. Uh, he's more, he's closer to a TJ Hawkinson when it comes to just talking about athleticism. Um, but he has very good ball skills. And, you know, he is a guy that reminds me a lot of just watching him on tape. I just finished his evaluation uh, yesterday. In watching him on tape, just get a lot of Jason Witten vibes. So not an elite athlete, but just a reliable guy who's going to start in the league for a long time and just be a solid contributor. So um, I'm not sure if he gets in the first round or not. I think he has a shot uh, just because, again, teams are looking for that wide tight end and he could fit that role perfectly. Um, but I do think he's going to go somewhere in the top. He's going somewhere top 50. It's just a matter of how high does he end up going when it's all said and done. Is there a big gap for you from one to two at the tight end spot? I wouldn't say a huge gap, but they're just they're totally different players. Like I, if you don't get Cole Komet, I don't think you say, okay, well now Hunter Bryant, Washington tight end is our next guy. 
because they're just they're they're totally different types of players. Hunter Bryant is not someone you're going to line up in line and expect to block and get the job done. Um, you know, he's a guy that you want to be creative with and put him in a slot and he could be a mismatch uh, type of player. And there's a lot of value in what Hunter Bryant offers. It's just very different than what Cole Komet offers. So, um, you know, even though I do think that they're one and two in terms of the tight ends this year, I don't think necessarily that if you miss on Komet, you immediately go to Hunter Bryant as your fallback option. Um, I think you have to ha- have to have a, some type of particular plan in place for both of those guys, uh, more so for Hunter Bryant, just because he's just a little different with what he offers. Yeah, well, I mentioned we had a bunch of bowl games after our, between our last episode and now, uh, obviously all the New Year's Day games. Um, Lynn Bowden uh, did his thing again for Kentucky, man. That guy's, and that's another early entry. I don't know exactly where he's going to play at the next level, but. Uh, man, he's a lot of fun to watch in college. Um, any anyone else that jumped out for you? Uh, I guess any of those bowl games since we last talked was specifically those uh, New Year's Day ones. Alabama got a win. Obviously, Oregon, Wisconsin was was close and a, a little controversial. Georgia got a win, and Minnesota with a pretty impressive upset of Auburn. Yeah, and you know, start with uh, Bowden, who you mentioned. Uh, and I've been hearing about Bowden for a long time because he's he's from. Um, you know, where I, uh, where my family lives in Warren, Ohio, and it's where he went to high school and set all types of records here going to Warren Harding. And so I've been hearing about him for a long time and watching his game at Kentucky, he did some nice stuff as a receiver, but when they moved him to quarterback, I mean, geez, he, he just took games over. And even when defenses knew it was coming, they couldn't stop him. So, uh, really impressive to see what he did now the transition to uh, he's going to have to transition to wide receiver. And it's, it reminds me a lot of Braxton Miller when he was coming out of Ohio state, just, you know, really good athletes who could create with the ball in their hands, but there's going to be a, some type of transition um, in terms of becoming a better route runner and uh, just being a consistent pass catcher. So I don't know that he ends up going in a top 100 picks. Um, I think he's going to test pretty well, uh, but a lot will depend on, just how he works out at receiver. Does he look natural uh, in a lot of his movements? Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of intrigue there that teams are going to want to try and figure out. Um, you know, a wide receiver that uh, you know, doesn't is not rough around the uh, rough around the edges. Jerry Judy uh, had a pretty good uh, final game for Alabama. Uh, that first series of the game where he just uh, I mean, good <laughs> luck trying to cover him. Him and Rugs, yeah. who both have declared now for the NFL draft. Um, yeah, good luck. Uh, it's just those two guys. I think it's gonna be a good debate about who, uh, you know, me, me personally, I have CD lamb as my top receiver. Uh, but then I think two and three are the two Alabama guys with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. And I think it's a, a worthy debate about who would you rather have? I think Jerry Judy is the more polished player in terms of his route running skills and, you know, his ability to separate, but Henry Ruggs, he'll put you in a blender. Uh, as a corner one-on-one because of his speed. Um, and it's not just straight line speed. It is his ability to throttle down, accelerate, um, you know, the fluidity. Uh, he has a little, uh, he's not just completely raw. I mean, he's not as good of a route runner as Judy, but he does show, uh, you know, he uses his, uh, you know, body fakes a little bit. He uh, understands how to set up defenders. And so there, are, there's some, uh, some nuance to what he's doing as a route runner. So I think that's a good debate about the second receiver or the second receiver drafted and the third receiver drafted, which order would you rather take those guys? Do you have a, 
maybe a, a concrete opinion on who would you rather have between those two? Uh, I think right now I probably lean Judy, but I, I mean, I also think that it doesn't, it wouldn't shock me to see Henry Ruggs be the first of those two off the board and even to press into the, you know, top 15, maybe even higher than that. I mean, I just think that you're talking about pretty special athleticism, athletic traits there. The speed is incredible. I mean, if you can get him locked up man to man, as we saw throughout his college career, like there's just not really a good way. I mean, you can try to to jam him off the line, but there's not really a good way to stay with him one on one mm-hmm. because he just has that that speed that he can kick it into a different gear that that defensive backs covering him don't really have. So, uh, and we've absolutely seen teams uh, take some chances on guys who maybe fall mo- more into that speed speed mold uh, in the past, just because you know you want that game breaker, you want that guy who can do it, and I. I sort of hesitate to even talk about rugs that way in relation to Judy, because like you said, Judy also has that element to his game. You know, like he had that play against Michigan where he just ran away from uh, the coverage and like, he's got that uh, ability to make some big plays too. So I think it's, it, it goes back to what we've talked about all along. It's just that this receiver class is, is pretty ridiculous. And KJ Hamler's another guy now who's in this draft who I think is really interesting for those teams that maybe think they need, like one more piece on offense, like that one guy who can catch and go and make guys miss and turn five-yard passes into into big plays. Like I think he's another one of those guys who um, is going to be really tough to slot in in this class because I think he he certainly could climb pretty high once he, we see him test. I'm sure he'll run well. Um, it's just such a good receiver class that I think it is going to be – I think the board's – for NFL teams are going to be kind of all over the place, even as high as one. I don't mm. think everyone will have. I mean, I love C.D. Lamb, but I, I don't think it'd be a surprise to, if teams wind up with Judy as their number one or Ruggs as their number one or you know, someone Agreed. else even up there. I think it's just that good of a class. I agree. I agree. And yeah, this wide receiver class, there, there might not be a consensus. For me, there's a clear top tier with those three guys. And then the top, the second tier is a jumble of of names of really good players. And uh, you know, you talk about Chenault at Colorado and Rager at TCU, Justin Jefferson with what he's doing um, at, at LSU. So uh, you mentioned Hamler in that mix. Brandon Ayuk is in that second tier for me. Um, I have my top 100, my updated top 100 coming out uh, later today. And so um, I kind of do my best to separate those. Uh, but still, it's it's a work in progress because there's a lot of names jumbled together. Um, we uh, touch on underclassmen real quick before we um, close this down. There's a, a few interesting, you know, we're just over 80 names now. Um, a few names that we're still waiting on. And some of those names are playing in the national title game. So no surprise why we haven't heard from them yet. You know, Isaiah Simmons from, from Clemson, um, AJ Terrell from Clemson, some of the LSU guys like, like Jefferson and Edwards Hilaire and Chase on. Um, but some other names that have yet to make a decision or at least announce what their decision is. And two guys from Iowa, uh, Tristan Wirfs, the really talented tackle, and then AJ Epinesa. Um, we're still waiting on what they're going to do. So that's uh, two really big dominoes there because I think both would end up being top 15 picks when it's all said and done uh, if they end up declaring. Uh, but we have not heard from them yet. Uh, Austin Jackson, the really talented tackle from uh, USC. 
I, I think he would benefit a lot by going back to school. I think he could turn himself into a top 10 pick, but I also think he could be a first round pick right now. And so I think he's got a tough uh, decision ahead of him. Um, uh, T Higgins, another one of those Clemson um, guys that has a decision ahead of them. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting names here that we have yet to hear from. Uh, we're going to get over, we're going to get into triple digits again this year uh, when it comes to underclassmen. Uh, but there's a few, uh, you know, w- uh, big fish that we're kind of waiting on at this point. Yeah, uh, obviously things have changed in the last month, but at your mock draft that went up in early uh, December, you had Epinesa at six, Tristan Wirfs at seven. I mean, we've the way we've been discussing those guys has been almost just assuming that they're going to go pro because their stock feels like it's so high. They both feel like they're uh, at least in the mix to be top 10 picks. Um, you know, Wirfs definitely could be the first tackle off the board. He's probably not lower than the, the third tackle off the board. Uh, one of their teammates just declared too, Geno Stone. Um, so, it, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know that everyone would wait and declare at the same time or anything like that, but we're getting some some movement out of Iowa at least. Uh, it's a, I mean, is, is there, I guess, have you heard anything that would suggest that Epinesa or Wirfs isn't going to be a part of this class? Um, I've heard both ways, um, you know, I, talking to agents, talking to scouts, uh, you know, I, I don't think that there is a clear, they're going to do this or they're expected to do this. I mean, I'd still be surprised at the end of the day if they went back just because they are projected top yeah. 15 picks. But um, I really, you know, anything, I don't, when it comes to underclassmen, I try not to get too um, into the weeds because there's, it's just such a personal decision, you know, and there are different factors for each guy's. Um, could they both get better on the field? Sure. But so for some of these guys, getting a degree matters. Um, some of them, I mean, Pat Fryermuth for Penn State, when asked why he didn't come out, he, he said he wasn't ready to pay his own bills. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> now I, I think there was a little tongue in cheek there, but, you know, some guys just aren't ready for professional life. You know, they're just, they enjoy the college experience. They like, um, you know, just hanging out with their, their buddies, playing football, and they're not ready to be part of a business yet. And I'm not going to, you know, uh, criticize a guy for that. I, I, you're only in college, you know, you're only 21 in, in college once in your life. So take advantage of it if you enjoy it that much and take out a, an insurance uh, a policy to protect yourself and uh, go back to school. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what these two Iowa guys do. And then, like I said, LSU, Clemson, uh, Grant Delpit, Lloyd Cushenberry, um, uh, the running back, um, ETN. I mean, there, there's a lot of those. After the national title game, we'll see a flurry uh, from uh, that game, a uh, flurry of uh, declarations come out. Yeah, and most of those names you mentioned, I think, like we are expecting will go. Simmons and, and you know, the, there's a bunch of those guys that you would expect to be part of this class too. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to knock. I uh, I hung around college longer than I probably needed to myself, so I'm not going <laughs> to knock anyone for doing the same. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly a uh, a change to go uh, from there. To, I, I obviously wasn't making a decision between college football and uh, the NFL, but I, I'm not going to knock anyone for, <laughs> for wanting to live the uh, college life for another year. And, like, you know, the degree – obviously does matter to a lot of these guys and and being able to go compete for a championship does matter to a lot of these guys so um always interesting to sort of see how this these dominoes fall and and when a guy like that when you know when someone like that does decide to go back it does change things because a lot of times as teams are scouting out these drafts you know you don't want to lock in that players are going to be gone but 
you kind of operate with the assumption that a lot of these guys you're looking at in the top 10, top 20 are going to be there. And so if you lose one that you've been targeting from a scouting perspective for four or five months, it, uh, it does uh, force you to kind of change on the fly and, and make some adjustments. So we'll wait and see on those guys, wait and see on the national championship guys. Uh, anyone else that you wanted to uh, touch on here before we wrap up? I you know you mentioned your top 100 uh, coming out on the athletic.com. If you want, don't have a subscription yet, get over to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros uh, for 40% off. We'll talk about Dane's updated top 100 on our uh, show later this week thursday so a little teaser for that but uh anyone else you wanted to hit here before we close up for this episode no i think that's it for now i'll save some of it for the top 100 um i've got a new um running back one um and a few other uh changes in that that we can we can touch on so i'll save that for a thursday pod- podcast have people tune in for that one there you go make sure you come back and listen thanks to everyone who uh did listen today if you especially if you've signed up for a subscription uh if you haven't again you can go to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros get 40 percent off um hit up myself or dane on twitter dane's at dp brugler i'm at chris burke nfl if there's any prospects uh you'd like us to get to that we haven't gotten to yet or haven't touched on enough please let us know i think we did a, a mailbag type episode a, a few weeks ago maybe we'll run that back here in the the near future kind of take some requests to make sure we're getting to all the guys that you're interested in as now the teams are settled into their draft positions uh, other than those those squads that are still playing in the playoffs and got the senior bowl coming up and like you mentioned some of these all-star games getting going so uh you know this is uh, a fun time of year and uh, we're looking forward to talking about all of it over the next three and a half four months so we'll join join you again on thursday talk about dane's updated top 100 you can check that out uh, on theathletic.com, the underclassman tracker is rolling there as well. And uh, like we talked about earlier, his uh, reaction to Tua's announcement that he's headed to the NFL available on our site also. So for Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>